It has been two years since the trade galaxy was shaken to its core by the actions of a single, mismatched, multi-species crew. Whatever you think of the heroes of Yentao, also known as the Space Squad, one thing is certain. All eyes are watching for whatever they do next. Last time in the Maelstrom Galaxy, you arrived at the Corsair's hidden dig site under the frosty nighttime skies of, a, of the desert planet Mokatel and got right to work on the dangerous business of freeing the good Dr. Marty Bonham from her present predicament. Competent plans went out the window on a single unlucky roll, however, and pretty soon the dig site had descended into your usual level of complete anarchy. Dusty, frazzled, and with ears still ringing with screams, you crept through the carnage to the concealed entrance of the greatest discovery that Marty will never get to share. And it's here that our adventure continues. What do you do next? If we all go through, I have a way to close this up behind us. Is it dangerous? Will it get us back out? It's a bit precarious because of its age, but like, there's nothing malicious down there. It's a tomb. All right, Corel's going to open the, the hatch. Okay, uh, it, the handle is stuck. <laughs> Keep pushing. Okay, uh, could I take a athletics? Okay. To give it a big shove. Twelve. Corel shoves at this, and it starts to squeal and very slowly turn. I have good athletics. Could I give it a try? Yes. I I sort of like tap Corel on the shoulder, like. Let me, let me, let me, bud. Let me. Fair enough. Thirteen. So one more. <laughs> so one more. One more. It squeals more quietly and starts to inch a little bit faster. <laughs> Would shovel hands help in this? No, they wouldn't. You could do it, uh, you know, uh, together. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'll give you advantage. Cool, cool. Teamwork makes the dream work. <laughs> oh, nineteen. So nineteen plus seven, twenty-six. There we go. Finally, with both of you working together, the handle like creaks and then spins very fast and snaps off at the base. Uh, the door flies open and like slaps down onto the ground, exposing a pitch dark hole like shoot that descends down into absolute darkness. Please tell me there's a ladder. There's what like a rusted place where there might have been a ladder once. How far's the drop? Like fifty feet. Um. Further fall, anyone? We we could tie a rope to someone and let them down. We could repel. We could repel down. I don't know. Yes, um, I'm just very aware that they're probably going to come for us at some point. Yeah, that's fair. We don't have a ton of time. I, I jump. Well, okay. <laughs> jumps after. I guess I jump and I cast feather fall. I jump at the same time to get feather fall, um, but as I'm falling, I cast erupting earth to re-cause another landslide. Ah, okay. So yeah, you all leap down into pitch darkness and Lorelei throws up an erupting earth behind you as you fall. And for a second, you're all falling with that pinprick of light above you. And then you hear the rumble and groan of shifting earth and you are in absolute pitch darkness. So I actually have to roll a wild magic surge. Oh, shit. no, no. I will have to roll to see if it happens. Okay. Okay. Oh no. Did you Guess what happened? <laughs> oh no! I rolled a down one! Yay! Oh. 
I'm excited, but I'm also terrified. Um. Okay, so... I've never had to do this before, so what's the... What okay, happens? so so you have to roll percentile dice. So roll a d100 and a d10. Uh, in that case, I get a 64. Let's see what 64 means. Well, you'll be happy to know it's not damage related. What is it? Um, You cast Fog Cloud, sent it on yourself. Okay. Shlet did a big fart. <laughs> God, I finally get wild magic and it's a f- I just fucking fart. <laughs> I'm so mad. Um, I can see Fog Cloud like follows me if it's just like a... No, it, do- it doesn't. It just gets It just gets cast and stays there. Okay. So, Lorelei, <laughs> that was very impressive, but I, I do have to ask, how exactly are we supposed to get out? We'll work it out at the time, but for now, I'm trying to slow them down so we have a chance to learn about, investigate, destroy, whatever it is that's down here. Fair dues. Fair dues. To, to be fair as well, no one saw you go to the dig, like, to the to the, the dig hole, <laughs> to, the, um, to the pit, and you covered your tracks, so... You could have a long time before they even think. Uh, yeah, so I fall and I just fart, I guess. <laughs> you puff out a quick little fart. Oh, schlub! And, and, and then Fog Cloud is a 20-foot radius of fog centered on a point within range, which is me. Spreads around corners, it's areas obscured, we can't see shit anyway. It's pitch dark anyway. Essentially, you puff out a little cloud of fog, everyone zips through it, and then you all land on the ground. And last for an hour, in case that's relevant. There's just a foggy dark hole now. So if, if, they, do, if they do notice and move the landslide within the hour... It would, be even if they illuminated it, it'd be foggy. So. Hey, that so might be helpful. <laughs> Potentially. I have dark vision, just as a reminder. Okay, uh, well, in that case, I will take... Uh, you can make a perception check if you'd like, Corel, with disadvantage. 14. Okay, with a 14, Corel, um, you get the impression that you are standing in a very large chamber. I would say that you can't see its outer wall, uh, but you get the impression that the chute you descended was to a kind of balcony on the edge of a far larger and deeper almost silo-like structure, like an absolutely enormous, um, kind of like a, a bell chamber, if that makes sense, like a missile silo. Um, yeah, you, you can kind of vaguely make out that this is a, definitely a sentient-made place. Like, it's all very rusted, groaning metal. You can see the vague outline of collapsed walkways and staircases. It looks very advanced and very, very bad, like very old and damaged. And... Ooh, okay, actually, I will say that your your role isn't quite good enough to make out specific detail of this, but you do see that about... Uh, how was the range on dark vision? 60. Okay, so near the edge of the range of your vision, you can make out some kind of, like the start of some kind of massive like sign of damage. Can I just turn my torch on? You can Splash turn your it torch on. on. <laughs> yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll, t- I'll turn... Before the torch comes out, I just go... Wow, this is something. But now I gotta see. I turn my torch on. Yeah, and you stripe through the darkness, illuminating this enormous, like, missile silo structure. It's absolutely huge. You could put a skyscraper in it. Big. Indeed. I don't know, like, investigation to see what's... Well, how about we ask the, the good the good doctor archaeologist lady? Yeah, fair enough. Uh, yeah, she kind of spreads her arms to the chamber and goes, 
Welcome to the greatest discovery I'll never be able to share. Why not? Because it's dangerous. And because of... There are definitely flings about this place that folks in the galaxy won't want to hear. And she kind of grabs Schlurp's head and swivels it to point at the start of that damage. Clang. Clang, <laughs> like turns it so the torch is shining full on the damage. And you can see an enormous rupture in what would have been the side of this silo. Um, and the, where the metal has literally been torn and bent in as if it was like paper or tissue. And you can see claw marks, which are spread widely enough that they could cover like well, I'm going to say claw marks space similarly to the claw marks you saw on, like, the handprint you saw on the pod. Ah. I was going to say, yeah. And, like, you can see that damage. She kind of tips Schlurp's head to point down the side of the silo, and you can see how that damage descends the wall of the silo as if something ripped in through the top and then tore its way down through the structure towards the base. And Marty finally kind of lets go of Schlurp and points down at the, like, the base of the silo far below, and she goes... It's easier to explain if I just show you. Oh, uh, but you will need some help. And she kind of reaches into... She has, okay, she has a watch. And she kind of fiddles with her watch, unstraps it, and then turns it inside out. And on the underside of the watch dial, you can see like where she seems to have like fiddled with the casing. And she kind of slip, like slips a nail beneath it and cracks it and swings it open. And you can see a tiny little bundle of wires and pulsing energy inside. And she goes, I've been working on this for years. And the second I, before I even knew the Corsairs were going to try and shackle me, like I knew I had to hide it from them because this alone is a career's worth of work. And she goes, now we're going to see things in this silo which talk and speak and have words that no one has heard and understood for thousands of years. But with this, we can. How does it work? Okay, so archaeology and history are normally quite an arrogant field. So people tend to make assumptions about artifacts. And then once they've made the assumptions, they don't tend to go back. So I've made my specialism out of taking artifacts that people have disregarded and then looking at them twice with an open mind. And this has enabled me to find out a lot of things about Mokatel that most people just, just, just cast off. Number one, the most important factor is I came to Mokatel thoroughly believing, and I understand if you'll laugh at me, but I came to Mokatel already believing that we are not the first trade galaxy. Why are you all so quiet? We're listening. We are, let's say we're open-minded. So this naturally kind of changes the way you look at artifacts. If you're looking for a civilization that's not just like fossil fuel using and flying, but like is star traveling. It's a very different look to a civilization and the, and the traces they leave behind. And I start at thinking, okay, well, if there has been a trade galaxy before, what could make an inter interstellar species go extinct? And I do agree that it would be very hard for that to happen if they really, really were a true interstellar species. But then I started thinking, if it was something bad enough that it did happen, they probably knew what was coming. Like, whatever happened to them, there must have been time to leave traces. So I started 
looking for traces. And what distinguishes spacefaring civilizations from planet-bound? Magic. Magic is what distinguishes them. It's only when you start jumping through subspace that you start seeing magic emerge inside sentient species. So I started, I did what no one else on Mokotel did. I looked for magic and I found this stuff. These crystals they leave behind, they're full of messages. Like, saved not in tech, but in magic. And there are so many of them. And you can kind of view this like, it's not a magic translator, but it does a pretty damn good job. This is the point at which you tell me I'm crazy and that my work is just shite and looking for attention. The fact that we're standing here alone means we're going to give you a hearing. We've seen a lot of strange stuff. And also, um, the, your uh, academic mentor uh, that we met uh, before meeting you uh, really rubbed me up the wrong way, so uh, I'm tempted to believe you out of uh, spite, out of opposition to anything he says. Why? Uh, Dr. Umi has always been supportive. Like Has he? He seemed very sceptical about you going here. He he's sceptical was... about Mokotel, but that's because no one's ever found anything before. He referred to it as a... I guess it doesn't matter. My point chasing, being, chasing fairy tales. I know what Dr. Umi thinks at this place. But the fact of the matter is, like, he could disagree with what I choose to spend my life on, and he can be right. Because there have been a thousand other archaeologists who found nothing here. Well, okay, you know him better than I do. Oh, I didn't mention, I was also a student of his for a time. Where are you? Oh, the new colony, that... Yes, yes, you yes. know he was involved with some of the early stages. Okay, okay, so you've so you've got these crystals in the watch. Like, how does it work past that? Like, do you kind of like hold it up and you it says stuff, or you stay close to me and you'll be able to mostly understand the things we come across in here, like written stuff, or is something going to talk, or a bit of both. Like, I've not found anything that talks so far i found like some really really stuttery stuff but i'm not a tech person i'm kind of hoping one of you is a medineer or something because i can't fix anything i find Grail points to faraday i also point to faraday oh thank god you're a medineer yeah amazing well we might just hear some speech then if uh, she can get anything in here working might i ask uh, a question uh yeah why why do people react with such hostility when you suggest that there might have been a, another trade galaxy? I mean, it's not like a dead civilizations or civilizations that have fallen are unheard of. I mean, my own world, we have M countless... Mitchell. Interstellar is the key point here, Captain. Yes, but they Ca can suffer Captain. from the same... Captain Crick, going interstellar is supposed to mean that the nightmare of potentially dying out as a species and having everything you've ever done come to nothing is over. It's supposed to mean security and safety and the promise of a future where your people's stories are always told. Acknowledging that that being interstellar doesn't mean that is frightening. Suppose that's if you true. want an actual answer as to why people are so hostile, it's because it scares them to think that they, the mighty Namazir or the industrious Daraswati or whatever, like, it scares them to think that they might one day come to this. Because they like to think that being interstellar means that they're going to exist forever. 
Because that's what people go Interstellar for. A lot of them do. Like, it's the thrill of exploration, but it's also that promise that you've got a whole... Like, Earth! We spent all that time in the 21st century being like, we've got to find a home beyond Earth in case we fuck it up too much. Because then we'll be safe. If we get out of the solar system, we'll be safe. And the fact of the matter is, I don't believe that's true, but I see why people resist it, because it's really fucking scary. I guess I've spent a lot of time on starships and exploring the galaxy, so I have a different perspective on the longevity of things, uh, which we appear to share. So I'd love to talk to you about this more another time, but for now, I guess we do need to delve on. Delve on we shall. So, yeah, what do you guys do next? Um, go investigate that big tear. Yeah, you're on the same level as the, like, part of the tear, so you can definitely go over to this and have a look. Take a look, close look at those claw marks. Yeah, mm. sure, you can roll me investigation. Can I look at the watch and try and see if I can fix anything to make it better? Is that what she meant? Uh, I think what she was implying was that there's tech down there that she hasn't been able to get anything oh. out of because she's not a medinir. Okay, I'll do that instead. But like, you can definitely try and optimize her watch if you want to. So the watch works fine, basically. Yeah. 21. Okay, with the 21 Corel, you've been, you're inspecting this tear. What kind of stuff are you looking for? I'm mostly in examining the claw marks more closely just to see how closely they resemble what we found on the pod. Okay, with that roll, I would say they almost exactly resemble it. Although, I will say that there is an interesting thing happening, wherein if you look at the tear and then look down the silo, the handprints seem to have decreased in size, as if the creature shrank as it entered this enclosed space. Other than that, the handprints are, like, the structure, the shape, the scolding pattern, like, it's all the same. Interesting. What's the shape again? Similar to Krell's, but yeah, three fingers, I think. I think we said it was a different number of fingers. Hmm. So, like, clearly an arthropod, because you can see the segmentations. And looking through through the tear, anything that stands out? It's been mostly filled up with a rock, because this whole thing is buried now. Um, but I will say that with that roll, you can definitely... Uh, I will say you're a xenoanthropologist, aren't you? Not necessarily a someone who would know stuff about rocks. But I would see, say that you can see parts of the rock which have gone kind of glassy as if they were melted. Okay. Faraday, I, um, Faraday, are you going to optimize the watch? Yeah, that sounds like a good plan. Okay, you can roll me medinary. Uh, Lorelei will go and help out. 27. Okay, with the 27, Faraday, you're able to kind of grab Marty's arm and fiddle with uh, what she's managed to do, this tiny device on the underside of her watch. And you're able to, I think, I think definitely stabilize what it does. So you could see how she's not a medinir and it's kind of had to, you could see where maybe she's even soldered stuff on using like bits of fire magic and stuff because she just doesn't have the tools or the knowledge. Um, so you're able to kind of stabilize this little instrument and stop it from shorting out. So if you use it, hopefully it'll be a more clear message and won't cut out as much. So to descend through the silo, if indeed that is what you want to do, um, you can kind of descend the spiraling ramp all the way down and it'll just take you like maybe 20 minutes to do. I guess we descend. 
you start to descend through the silo. The walkway you're kind of descending along is kind of uh, rusted and very, very wobbly in parts. And there are areas where that, like when you circle back under the tear, like there's an area there where most of the walkway's gone and you're gonna have to jump. I'm sorry, could I take an acrobatics check from people as they cross? Uh, can I long jump it and do I have any rope on me? I do. Yeah, so if we long jump it, I long jump it, can I take the other end of Crick's rope and tie it to something? Absolutely, I'll let you do that and then I'll give anyone using, if they're using this handhold as they're crossing, I will say that you'll get advantage because there's a, something Ooh. to help hold you up. 13. 16. Nat 20. 16. Oh my god, Faraday, well done! Yay! I needed the advantage though. <laughs> okay, so this gap isn't super wide, Crick, so I'm not going to make you plummet to your death. Thank you. But you definitely lose your footing, and I will say that the rope in your hand comes on, like you trip and you yank on the rope too hard, and it goes flying down out of sight, so you lose the rope, is what I will say. Yeah. Okay, so I've lost all my rope, okay. It's okay, Crick, we can get more rope. I was doing so well. I avoided the hole. You were, Captain. You were. I avoided the hole. And now we're back to normal. I got a nat 20, so I did the fucking backflip over that. You, Natural order been restored, yeah. You cross over this hole. Crick is back to being bad at holes. <laughs> all is at peace with the world. <laughs> no! All is at equilibrium. <laughs> as you clear this gap, as you clear this gap and continue to descend, Things start to get a bit weird. Ooh. So it was kind of just dry and a bit cool before. Now it starts to get hot as you descend further. You start to kind of penetrate into this dry heat that comes up like a like a wump against your faces as you head deeper down into the silo. And I'll say this as well. The heat is very intermittent. Like... It's really bizarre. It's like one minute your hair will blow and then your hair will drop like the air has just been cut off and then it will start again. And it's like odd little bits, bits and spats of action and motion around you that don't seem to be fully there or fully complete, if that makes sense. Okay, I'm going to say I was rolling Arcana mm. um, and I rolled an at 20. Okay. Um, and technically it's a 26 with... 26 with my thing. Please let there be something. Because I just rolled two nat 20s in a row. Arcana. With a nat 20 schlep, you kind of try to look around more with your... Well, more with the mind of a magic user. Like Marty's been saying, you try to think more about magic than about tech. And the second you start doing that, you are struck by a realization that you have felt the kind of that buzz in the air the weird crackle the stop start motions the flickers and the changing temperature you've experienced this before you've experienced it lots of times every time you cut through subspace i, I share this with the group uh so you know how it feels weird in here like with the with the temperatures and stuff yeah uh think back to what every time we've been through subspace it's kind of kind of like that so i don't know what that means probably something weird it's something very powerful right like subspaces you're traveling through reality yeah but that's where like the magic comes from it, i don't know i don't remember 
So are we like, are we like in subspace? Are we going to a source of magic? Monty kind of shakes her head and she goes, there's no like source here. It's more traces of what happened here. And what happened here was before jump gates, when people used to just willy nilly punch through the fabric of reality without making stable tunnels to protect that fabric. There are places on Zorel that are like this. Having seen that you've seen that pod, I think I know now. Like, reality was torn open here, like like a subspace jump. I'm thinking about it. It probably would have been useful to tell you how we found the pod, because we just kind of said, oh, we found this pod and didn't say anything, and now we're, we're down here. We were ho holding information just in case, Schlurp. It was Basically, it fell from the sky in a fireball, and then it crashed into a cave. On Rava. On, yeah, on... On Rava? In, in New Analu. Oh my god. So I have one last question. Shoot. When did the pod fall? Um, so it was about, about three weeks ago. See, here's the problem. This silo place is thousands of years old. So what you're suggesting is that the pod was here. It ripped open a, the fabric of reality to travel and emerged above Rava tens of thousands of years later. It sounds crazy, but... I mean, you said you'd seen weird things. We have. Like, we know time can act strangely in some places. Yes. So maybe it's related to that? Or maybe it was here up until just before you came in here, Marty, and then for some reason something triggered it leaving. No, like, but the problem with that is the part you show me you showed me in that picture is like brand new this place is so old even these handprints everything is here is old it was shiny it had a sheen to it was it a martin sheen <laughs> no no <laughs> i think we we're dealing with alternate dimensions rips through the fabric of reality, I don't think we should rule out the possibility of time travel. Agreed. Right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Okay. We said we'd seen a lot, but... I mean, you, you listen to me, and not many people have. So I'll listen to you in turn. Thank you. All right, what's next? We keep going down, I guess. We keep going down. We're getting there, though. Um, I have a warning. There are some traces of violence down there. Mostly skeletons. Just in case that's a problem for anyone. We have seen so many oh, skeletons. We have seen a lot of skeletons before. I had to walk past the carnage upstairs. Yeah, like you're like we saw we saw upstairs. I think skeletons are fine at this point. If I point. may make make a suggestion, just going forward, if there's something that you think might be disturbing to most people, just assume that we have dealt with it already, because we probably have. Uh, okay. We've had some interesting experiences. Well, let's go see the giant body pile. 
<laughs> ah, fond memories of that other giant body pile we saw. <sighs> I remember wading through the bodies. Yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, I was like three foot tall. It sucked. Great times. I am not going to ask. She calls back as she leads you onwards. You shouldn't. Twenty minutes after you stood on at near the top of this silo, examining that claw, like giant claw area and giant impact area. You reach the bottom of the silo, and true to Marty's word, there are a lot of skeletons here. I will take a perception check on the bottom of the silo. Five. Fourteen. Also fourteen. Twenty-six. Twenty-three. Okay. Uh, Lorelei and Faraday, you've got the high score, so I'm going to address you guys. Um, the bottom of the silo is a large circle. Uh, in the center of this circular space, there is a raised circular console. Uh, it's like a kind of a cone shape with banks of desks and screens going all the way around it, though obviously most of them are ruined beyond any, but like beyond recognizing what they are, they are completely trashed. Now, in the center of this cone, there is a hollow. And with those rolls, I will say that if you look at this hollow, you will be able to determine that it would exactly match the shape of the pod. Now, taking that roll to the rest of the chamber, there's like lots of other desks and offices and skeletons. And the bulk of these skeletons are huddled together by a gigantic door, which has been barricaded with furniture and chairs. Yeah, and that's what you see at the bottom of the silo. And as I will say as well, like that distorting effect is by far the worst here. You can almost like hear sound in the air, like snippets of screams and cries. One time on Sword of Symphonies, our captain played an accordion number for a demon as a backing track to the story the demon was telling him. This one time on Sword of Symphonies, there was a rodeo rider on a giant eagle bird thing, and it was rad. She's gonna take her jacket and try to put it over the bird's eyes, like create a blindfold. I would once again like to reiterate what could possibly go wrong. This one time on Sword of Symphonies, the crew dug up some buried treasure. No, look at this moss. It's attached to a shovel. <laughs> look, I love all three of you, but Tissa is my favorite. <laughs> My favorite part of Sword of Symphonies is the majesty of the spellcasting. Brilliant carnival. Starlight stars. Flying shark. Knife pain. Fry's bolt. So if you'd like seafaring adventure, a lot of game design talk, music written in-house, and a lot of whatever that was just now, join us every week on Sword of Symphonies. Who has the best investigation? Um, I, I'd say I'd probably point out to Corel, um, Corel is a xenoanthropologist, as morbid as it is. Do those skeletons match any of the current known species in the trade galaxy? And, um, does the indentation have the mirrored effect of the text that was on the pod? Because it was indented on the pod, is it embossed into the indent both very good questions uh what are you gonna look at Krell? are you gonna do both yeah both sound good i'll go with I'll, the skeletons I'll, I'll first but <laughs> 23 okay you go over to that door and that pile of 
skeletons. Corel, you kind of bend to examine them, and I'll say you have to bend quite far because these skeletons are very small. Um, these beings are about the size of Araswati. Um, if not really a little bit smaller when you consider that the bulk of their size is made up of wings. These little beings are tiny bird-like creatures that have these very very stiff wing joints and no arms that you can see but like their feet um, kind of they have like opposable thumbs on their feet so I would say that with that role and with you being a xenoanthropologist a xenoanthropologist I would say that you are able to surmise that maybe these creatures hover and use their feet hands to do stuff as they hover they resemble nothing you have ever seen before anywhere in the maelstrom incredible this is my goodness so it's um so are their their proportions like with wings on their back are they wings where we'd have arms yeah they have wings where you would have arms like there are there are there are still like a pen to they're a kind of a, a pentadac uh oh god what's the word they're like a five point creature the way most like all earth creatures are most earth creatures are but like yeah instead of having arms they've got wings i will say that you can't tell that they had feathers i will say but the bone structure is like a bird in the sense that you've got a couple of fused digits rather than like a fan of delicate fingers. That is, so they kept themselves presumably in the air. Oh, but that's so energy in intensive, unless they found a, a workaround for that in, in some way. While Corel's being a nerd, can I investigate the consoles? <laughs> Actually, I will move on to that indentation business. You can do it together. How about that? If you beat up a 23 uh, slurp, good for you. I rolled a 14. No. Corel, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you go to examine the... Is it the pod indentation? Yeah. Cool. Uh, to get up there, you're going to have to climb onto the console, but I'm not going to make you do anything to do that because it's it's all very small, is what I will say. Um, yeah, you climb up and have... An, like you bend, peer at this um, hollow. You probably have to turn your head sidelong because of your big, long beak to have a look properly and like Jess surmised uh there is the very faint impression of mirrored text on the inside of this hollow you are right all right very good supposition miss bonham we need we need to read something oh i'm coming doctor so apologies dr bonham we need to read something she kind of um pulls on the neck of her dirty tank top, like as if she's adjusting the collar of her shirt and goes, thank you, Corel. Um, she comes over and climbs up onto the paw, like the consoles next to you, and she holds out her wristwatch and clicks in the little um, time set dial thing. Mm -hmm. on the, I don't know what the name is for that. She clicks in that at the side, and as she does, a very, very, pa a very, very pale pink um, sphere of light starts to radiate around her. And as it kind of sweeps out and expands, um, that text inside the depression like flickers and judders. And then you see in pink words floating above it in Ziri Trade in a language that you can read. And it's partly cut off because this is just like a cup for the bottom half of the pod. So it's partly cut off because presumably the rest of the pod went up into the air. Mm -hmm. um, but you can see the beginning of Emergen and then Evac. Well, I think we can guess. <laughs> it looks like maybe we have a pod full of 
tiny winged things. Well, maybe not full, but certainly at least one. I do like the idea of they're all just kind of shoved in there, like, you know, just... Like sardines. Yeah, like, you know, like I see these old earth things about a bunch of, pe- bunch of people being stuffed into, what do you call them, phone booths? Whatever whatever those ooh, are. Ooh, <laughs> no, no, it was the clown cars. Guys, <laughs> as funny as clown cars are, <laughs> the realisation the realization is dawning on me that that pod may contain and probably does contain the last survivor of this species. Or survivors. Um, yes, was is the pod, compared to the skeletons, is the pod big enough for more than one? The pod was five foot long and like two or three foot wide at its widest. These skeletons are more than small enough to fit maybe two or three in, depending on how much tech was in there with them. Just trying to think, because there was divination magic inside the pod. I'm trying to figure out if it means they had stuff that they had like divination tech or whether the creatures themselves naturally exuded, I don't know, divination magic? I don't know. Like, would that still be around if I cast a tech magic? Worth a go. I'd be careful with that just in case the fabric of reality being thin and torn here um, interacts badly don't don't cast any spells <laughs> what see the problem is no spells no no you don't understand <laughs> oh god schlup oh no no spells no i really want to <laughs> no, no no spells lorelei will physically tackle schlup attempt to tackle schlup <laughs> can i do an arcana check it's kind of like checking if I like to match it here, is there gas that will explode? I'm checking if I cast a spell, will reality explode? You can try. Uh, 23. Okay. Wow. With an arcana check, I will say that the signs of magic are everywhere. Like, not just in the air, but in the tech. Like, the little crystal, Marty, crystals Marty has hodgepodge in her watch. There are, like, lots of broken ones underfoot here that you kind of crunch on as you walk. There's lots of magic around and whatever they did was very, very powerful to like essentially rip open a portal here. Like however they did it, it was very, very, very powerful. And I give you no guarantee of whether it would be safe or not. I wanted to pick up some crystals. That's a good idea. Go ahead. The probably like picks up a few crystals and puts them. I don't know. They probably have like some sort of like zip up bag or something. Fanny pack. Adorable. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah, yes, yeah, so, yeah, so should I pick up some of the crystals so now they have now they have some of these weird crystals. Okay. Um I want to do I want to try something weird. Corel is gonna sort of focus on their ability. Okay. What I want Corel to try to do is just feel if there's anything worth using it on in the room. What 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 should I roll for that? I I'm actually gonna do a, I'm going to do a luck check to see. Okay. Okay, Corral. You kind of turn your attention from this fab, like fabulously interesting space to yourself for a second. And you, t- as you turn your attention inwards, you kind of reach in and feel this tiny kernel of cold power and... Your arm, the one with all the, the markings, starts to prickle, and then you turn your attention outwards again and cast your eyes around the room. I will say that with you reaching for this strange ability, the 
air which previously kind of stuttered and cried and shifted before is now screaming and clamoring above your head uh would i with my passive perception would i notice this you would see Corel's markings probably like flicker very slightly because they're not fully using it i think i'll walk up and put my hand on Corel's arm and be like whatever it is i doubt it's worth it i don't particularly feel like being sucked into and i will say Corel. As Lorelei is speaking to you, um, your arm zings with pain as your eyes fall on a console uh, at the edge of the room, which has a skeleton slumped over, like two skeletons slumped over it. And in the center of the console, there seems to be a crystal, which you didn't notice before because it was covered under like a thick coat of dust. But there's a crystal there as big as your fist. We're not going to get a second chance to look at this place. Um, yeah, but what if we take it with us? Uh, I... Corel does think for a moment. Corel, please, no. Corel starts moving towards the console. Corel, what are you doing, Corel? Gotta take a gamble sometimes. (laughs) Corel grabs the crystal and uses it. Uh, Lorelei moves far has a faster move speed than Corel does she's literally going to put herself on top of it. I mean I will push Lorelei out of the way. <laughs> Lorelei as an Araswati is very fast so and she can jump high she can jump like a motherfucker so I will say it does make sense for Lorelei to be able to beat Corel and jump onto this thing to get in the way I will take a strength contest between Lorelei and Corel if Corel is going to push like I will take a strength contest between the two of you 18 3 would I have had enough time to attempt to pick up the crystal? I will say that as you try start to pull it, you get the sense that this is a socket it's meant to be inside and it is very like locked in place, Lorelei. And and as you're like as your fingers like grasp at it and it kind of shifts in place, uh, the console flickers with light and the air over where the pod was um you see like the flicker of what for a second of what might have been a projection. And then you're knocked to the side, and Corel's hand comes down on the crystal. God damn it. Oh, for fuck's sake. Corel, your arm blazes with pain, but you only feel it for a second because then, like, your surroundings melt away, and you are, you still kind of distantly know that you're clutching this crystal, but you are in the grip of your power and your power shows you the silo it shows you the silo with an unmarked wall it shows you a silo full of light it shows you a silo whose metal walls are hung with photos and pictures and pieces of paper and plans and hopes and dreams and as you kind of stand there surrounded by this spinning vision that's kind of all blurry and fast-paced you see these people alive and not skeletons and they are lovely there's something about them that's almost like hummingbirds the way they flicker and dart around they are feathered and they have iridescence in their feathers which is fabulously interesting to you i imagine but they also have carapation parts like like an insect it's like they're part way between a dragonfly and a hummingbird it is 
really, really bizarre, but somehow very lovely and it works. And as you stand clutching this crystal, you see someone come, or one of these people come zipping up to you and start working on the console. And then a second, and the two of them kind of press their heads together for a second and then place their hands through yours and press down. And the console starts to like slowly light up beneath you. But then in the corner of your eye, you see this blazing sheet of orange and you twist your head up to just in time to see this curtain of fire come pouring down through the silo and in the center of it a enormous being with clawed hands and a carapacean body kind of like your own and that those eyes like are that its eyes are enormous and fierce and kind of mad like mad they are and then the being lunges down through the tower something ignites in the center of the room and then everything is gone and you are standing in the silo again and you fall to your knees with all your hit points but one gone uh, it does anything else happen does the buzzing and the screaming get louder uh I will say that for a second it peaks and then it calms and goes back to its previous level. So was it worth it? You know, I think it was. Lorelei stands up from being a little bit crumpled on the floor and walks away. Might have been nice to ask us. Well, I was going to, but then Lorelei made her position clear and I couldn't risk being talked out of it. You didn't ask. You just kind of lunged towards lunged it. Lunged at it. Lorelei had already told me not to. So why did you? Because we're not coming back here. Because we are, we've made an agreement with, with the good doctor here. You didn't even try to see if it was something we could do later. Sorry, I thought we were either destroying or burying this place. Even without that, you're weak now. Who knows what we're going to be having to do later on? We're in the middle of something that no one understands in the middle of a magically cursed area, and you just... And I used my magic understanding power to improve my understanding. Carell, remember down in the cave when I was like, hey, hey, Carell, maybe you shouldn't shouldn't go ahead. It's because I know you might try to do this kind of bullshit with the vanguard. Maybe, maybe next time you just want to stick your hands in a power socket. Carell, I understand that whatever we say, the knowledge you've gained is going to be worth it for you. And in the long run, it might help us. But the thing that we still don't know, that we may never know, is that we don't know if we're doing the exact same things that the people before us did. We don't know if we're walking in some predestined footsteps and every risk we take gets us a step further. I asked you not to, so that we could take some time and reassess. We may not be able to have been able to take it with us, but it, we could at least take a couple of minutes to discuss it. Knowledge is paramount to you. And whilst I would usually agree that it would be most useful, and as much as I don't want to sound like a complete boring narc right now, risks must be assessed when we get to 
the stage we're currently at? What if you doing that had thrown us all into sob space and doomed the universe? It didn't, but basically everything we do from now on has that risk. Risk yourself, Corel, if you want, but don't risk everyone else here. I know that you thought that was important, but we're all in this together now, and I, I'm I'm not willing to risk the people I love. So I come from a slightly different perspective. I am willing to burn myself to dust to save this galaxy, but I'm not going to do it without a discussion beforehand. If you had led with that rather than saying don't do it, I might have have heard you out at the time. Lauren. You were you were busy pretty quickly. Look, what's done is done. I'm gonna give Corel a potion because right now they are still on one hit point. Yeah, yeah. Which is the the greater one, so it's four d four plus four. Faraday hasn't said anything; she's just been watching everybody. And then she's gonna say to Corel after healing them up a little bit, being like, "You really need to learn how to trust other people." Corel's just gonna sit on that for a bit. Marty kind of coughs and then goes <laughs> and points at Corel's arm and goes, "What's that?" Okay, I think since you did that, I think we started being a bit more open with Doctor Bonham. Yeah. Who are you, people? Can, can, can we say the seeming spell drops at this point? Yeah, for the, for the drama. For the drama. <laughs> the seeming spell drops. The seeming spell drops and reveals us and the fact that I'm aside and blah blah blah. Honestly, somewhat surprised you didn't recognize our names. Not to sound arrogant and awful, although there's no way not to sound arrogant and awful when saying that. Um, how long have you been on Mokotel? Years. Did um, news of Yentao come a couple of years ago? Uh, something about the Kanzir being a bit more, well, forcibly downsized. We helped with the downsizing. No, no. We helped stop the gigantic mechanical worm that did. Oh, I heard about that. I heard about the worm thing. Because I I would give anything to go inside that thing. Um, Trust me, you wouldn't want to. That's where we saw the other gigantic pile of bones. A lot of bones in that place. Well, any good archaeological dig's gonna have some bodies in it, isn't it? Well, it's a little harder to study the history of a machination when it's flying through space on its way to um, obliterate cities. Yeah, the problem is at that point we were kind of more concerned about Destroying other things it. happening. Yeah. Like, if we'd had time, we probably would have tried to have a nice look around, but unfortunately not. Right, we're off topic. What are those? And she points again at the markings on Corel's arm, including a brand new one. Which still glows with light. Again, in the interest of time, I can sometimes touch things and learn big things about them. But the problem is, when when they do it, they get they get much weaker. Oh, like knowledge has a price. That makes sense. Yeah. Oh, that that is very on the nose. Wow. (laughs) I never thought of it like that. I enjoy how practical you are, Doctor Bonham. Likewise. Well. You kind of have to be when you're digging around in bones all day. You end up really out of touch with the real world. Like, I don't even know what music's popular these days. That's okay, <laughs> neither do I. 
I make the popular music. <laughs> okay, so the situation is, let's just put everything to one side for a moment. Um, we potentially have a pod with a species that it predates our own, which is wild. We need to learn as much as we can, as quick as we can, because we need to get out of here. Hmm. Not like that. If you do that again, you'll die. <laughs> We've never tried before. If you do that again, I'll kill you. So yes, you will die. I I checked. There wasn't anything else worth touching. I mean, they don't really need to do whatever that was, did they? Like when Lorelei, when you touched that thing, when you touched that thing, there was like a, a flicker or something. You think it might be a holographic projection? Maybe, but everything's so broken down here. I have small hands and Faraday has the knowledge, so we may be able to fix some things up. Well, we'd best get to work then. So we all agreed that we're going to try and fix some things up? Without using magic or any powers of a still somewhat undetermined nature? Corel rolls their eyes ever so slightly and goes over to a corner, pulls out a pad of paper and starts writing something down. <laughs> I'll tell you that as a yes. Faraday? Show us where to start. Marty just kind of shrugs and then points at the crystal and is like, I don't know, that like sparked. Okay. I will roll. Yeah, uh, roll me and some medonary. I would like to give advantage. Lorelei is getting thoroughly stuck into it and getting her frustration out. 27. Okay. With a 27 Faraday, you and Lorelei go over to this crystal panel and Lorelei, uh, Faraday... Yeah, this is kind of the dream team. So Lorelei, you have the tiny hands which let you access this tiny machinery which has been built by these tiny people. And Faraday, yeah, you've got the brain power. Like, well, the training, I will say. You're both very smart. Um, Faraday, you are very quick to pull open the front of the panel and identify where corrosion has kind of eaten through a lot of tech. I will say that you can't. You probably need to replace some hearts. You're going to need to cannibalize some of the stuff you've got. So I will say you, like at least two people need to sacrifice a data pad or a comms unit for the cause. Uh, that's fine. Okay, you can have my... Corel, give me your data pad. Oh, that's <laughs> that. <laughs> Corel isn't saying Justice. anything. It just continues writing. Can I do sleight of hand to get Corel's data pad? Try it. See what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Ten. No. Yeah, oh, no. Corel just gives you a look. Okay, so Faraday, you have two data, uh, comms units to sacrifice to the cause. Yeah, so these will be destroyed in the process of fixing up this unit. But I will say that with that role and with those parts, you will be able to maybe get something to work we'll just have to see uh so you managed to kind of get everything looking like it should work again but there's nothing happening corral hmm? when you touched it what did you see do you know how to make it work is it like magic powered or do we just have to give it some electricity out of character did did i see that you saw two two of the little people um put their hands on the crystal I mean, Lorelei knows that a spark happened when she put her hand on it, so she'll put her hand on it again. As you put your hand on it, Lorelei, initially nothing happens, but then the longer you kind of press your hand there, it starts to kind of 
little bits of light flicker around its edges, but it doesn't seem like it's quite bright enough. Can I put my hand on it? Yeah, you can come over and put your hand on it as well. And now that there are two hands on the crystal, the crystal lights up brilliantly. And then in the center of the silo, blue light forms, flickers, and then shapes into heavily distorted a heavily distorted hologram and marty like completely loses his, like her shit and like whoops and is like oh my fucking god you did it look oh my god you can see there are little feathers use your thing see if we can hear anything oh shit and she like taps on her watch and runs over and like holds it up holds her wrist up over her head so like the pink light washes over the hologram and then you are able to hear and see the following you see the flickering bluish outlines of these tiny feathered beings as they hover around this console. Corel, this is from the tail end of the same vision you just had. Like you recognize the, the positions of some of the people. So wait, so this is, this is picking up where my vision left off? It's kind of the tail end of your vision, like the wall hasn't been ruptured yet. So this is like the very end bit. Like you can see the you can see the two feathered beings who are about to go and light up the crystal, like on their way to go and do it. Um, and standing in like in the center of the room, you have that console, and in the console there is now a holographic pod. And as this like hologram forms, um, you see these beings like all gathered around that central console, like they kind of make this gesture where they like reach one, extend one foot out to the pod and then curl it very close and then bow their heads. Like, as if maybe they're saying farewell, like who knows? And you suddenly hear this really discordant music, like whistling, musical whistling, which suddenly stutters and turns into Ziru Trade as you hear this chorus of these people like, crying and you realize now that that sound that stuttering sound from before wasn't panicked fear it was sadness these beings are sad and scared and it all feels very final like they know what's coming and then the console in the center of the room sparks up and another hologram like appears a hologram within a hologram of a different creature with a huge, like, very square, powerful head and, like, interlocking sea turtle-like jaws. And a voice, like, kind of says something and then repeats again, this time in, like, a stuttery Ziri trade, saying, This is Zuzukrant, a cast of Fort Peretzia. The Krotor have fallen. I'm... I'm the only one left. If you're going to launch, you have to do it now. Ready or not, we are out of time. Good luck. This is all new to Corel. Yes. And then those two feathered beings who, Corel, you saw go to the crystal, they are at the crystal now. And with this hologram playing, you can hear them talking to one another. And one of them says, Is General... Is General Lecast... And the other one says, <laughs> Well... In a minute, but they won't be. And the other one says, We don't know that. It's, we don't know if they'll make it. We have to take that chance. Maybe we can warn people what's coming. Maybe we can give them information. We have to do this. 
and the two of them bend their heads together and then press on the crystal. And then the silo rips open, the pod rips its way out and everything ends. And the hologram ends with it. My God, it's an arc. Hey, it's Paige Dolby Evans, your Game Master, host, and resident dog person. I just wanted to say that the Junket podcast wouldn't be possible without the talents of the lovely people behind the characters. That's my wife, Leonie, as Dr. Faraday Zenith Lewis, Duncan as Corel, Elle as Captain Mitchell Crick, Shona as Schlurp, and Jess as Lorelei Widewanderer. Our show is powered by a modified version of Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. To learn about the custom rulings, mechanics, and aliens that make our game possible, you can visit our website, thejunkitpodcast.com, or just ask us on Twitter at thejunkitpod. Lastly, if you're both willing and able, you can support the show over on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash thejunkitpodcast. That's all from me. See you in a fortnight.